everyone. Welcome to HubShot's episode 276. In this episode, we look at a detailed overview of HubSpot Service Hub. We'll dive into six key areas of Service Hub and some quick tips for using Service Hub. And we've also got a quick start guide along with when to upgrade to different versions of Service Hub. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast where we discuss HubSpot tips tricks and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? So good, and what a bumper episode we have today. So we've got so much to cover, we're probably not going to get through it all, but this is another reminder, if you get the show notes each week, everything's in there, all the details, all the screenshots, everything. If you haven't yet signed up, go to hubshots.com slash subscribe and you get the show notes and you can see all the past episodes. But so much to cover, isn't it, around Service Hub, Ian? But we probably should note from the outset, we're mainly going to talk about features in Service Hub Pro, although we will touch on at the end about upgrading from free and starter. Okay, so what is the big differentiator, Craig, with HubSpot Service Hub? All right, so let's take a step back and I want to talk about speed of response being a differentiator. Now, you'd think by now everyone would have good response, wouldn't you? You'd think, you know, we're used to Amazon. HubSpot's actually a good example of quick response, good customer support. You don't actually have to be a customer just reaching out, speed of response. You'd think that'd be table stakes. It's not. So if you're listening to this, there is still an opportunity for your speed of response to be a differentiator for your company in the market and to respond quickly, there's platforms that help unlock this for you, of which HubSpot Service Hub is a key part. So that's just the preface to the show to say, if you're interested in increasing your speed of response to your customers and contacts, then Service Hub is worth contemplating or any kind of service tool, actually. But when it comes to Service Hub, you might have actually looked at it a couple of years ago. And so we've got a section in the show notes where I've said it's finally worth using. That's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing because maybe you started, you had a look at it a couple of years ago. It was pretty simplistic back then, I have to admit, especially compared to Zendesk and uh, Freshdesk and a few others. Maybe if that was your association with Service Hub, it's time to take another look because it has improved a lot in the last couple of years. But the thing is, it's incrementally improved. This is what we really like about most SaaS tools, but especially HubSpot, incremental improvement. So it's time to take another look at it and just evaluate whether it's actually a good fit for you now if it wasn't previously. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through some of the main features and a few tips. And then at the end, we're actually going to talk about a getting started guide if, there's, if it seems overwhelming. Because isn't that the great thing in the space of a few short years, Ian? It's gone from, oh, it's pretty underpowered and pretty simplistic to, oh, wow, there's so much. It's kind of overwhelming. Where do I start? And I was wondering, Ian, should we actually just quickly run through the 15 steps for getting started to get them in people's mind and then come back to it at the end and pull it all together. So if we seed it in your mind and then it'll all make sense at the end. Should we do that? Let's do that. So here's our recommended order for getting started with Service Hub Professional. So the first one, set up a conversations inbox and you can do that even on free. So that's a good place to get started. The second one would be add a support form. The third thing would be is to create snippets and templates for consistent and quicker responses. The fourth one that's really good is sending up follow-up surveys and then setting up a default ticket pipeline. 
Number six is automatically create tickets from conversations. And we do this because we want to track things and not lose anything. Number seven, create a simple report and dashboard for conversations and tickets. Number eight, create a customer portal. Number nine, set up access lists for customer portals. And this is if you want to give special access to people within the customer portal. And that is now available in professional. And finally, coming on to the last five, adding a knowledge base and start adding articles. Number 11, add access for the private knowledge base if required. Number 12 is to add a report on the knowledge base searches, what people are looking for, which is really helpful because you might find the gaps that you have. Number 13, link your knowledge base to the customer portal, which will give you the ability for customers to see all of their tickets and self-help themselves. And then one of the ones we really love is adding a knowledge base to your chat flows. So let the bot do the work. And finally, adding SLAs if appropriate. And we will discuss this again later in the notes. Now, that seems like a lot of stuff, Craig. So It does, but I thought it was good just to see that in your mind. For example, the very first one, set up conversations in the box because we're actually going to jump into that in a second, chatting about the difference between, well, what is conversations in box versus tickets, et cetera. But before that, there's, there's a few stats around service. That's right. And you've pulled out a few here, Ian. And I'm going to start with the last one that's in the list, but I'm going to make it first because we talked about... of customers rate immediate response times as important or very important when they have a customer service question. And so I guess the question is, what is important, Craig? And said 60% of customers define immediate as 10 minutes or less. So that's that's rather interesting. The next one is 69% of consumers first try to resolve their issue on their own, but less than one third of the companies offer self-service options such as a knowledge base. So that's a really big opportunity for businesses today. Third one is 90% of consumers expect an online portal for customer service. I thought that was really interesting because I would not have thought that was the case. Next one is 96% of customers say customer service is important in their choice of loyalty to a brand. Now, I can kind of understand that because we've discussed this on the show previously where you said before you buy a product, you actually go through a lot of this customer service, their knowledge base, you see what their support's like before you buy something, which is very interesting. Second last, more than 70% of consumers believe that companies should collaborate on their behalf so that they don't have to repeat information to different representatives. And I think this is a big one because I'm sure we've all had experiences of being passed from person to person within the organization and repeating the same story back again and feel like we're starting over 10 times over on that call. So that's a big one. And the finally, the last one is nearly 60% of customers feel that Long holes and wait times are the most frustrating parts of a service experience. So there we go. So many things that we can solve. All you need to do is to log on to Twitter anytime and just see your friends complaining about the service they get. I I see it every day. They're just like, oh, I've been on hold for half an hour to X company or such and such. They're just frustrated. So compelling reasons why speed of response is a differentiator and a profit builder for your company. But let's actually jump into what Service Hub is. And we've got the six main areas there. I think this is a good overview just to take a step back and say, okay, what is Service Hub at at a high level? And the six areas are, first of all, conversations. We're going to explain that in a second. There's tickets, which I think everyone's familiar with the, the concept of tickets. Three is the customer portal. That's getting access to your tickets. 
Four is surveys, and there's a range of surveys, and that in itself can be confusing within HubSpot. We're going to dive into that. Five is knowledge base. That's that self-help collection of articles. And then six is reporting and dashboards. Now, there are a few other areas. We're not really going to touch on these in today's show, but they include things like the mobile app. HubSpot mobile app is actually getting quite feature-rich. You can manage conversations from in the mobile app, and you can add and view tickets against a contact. There's pipelines. We're just going to mention that in passing, but they're very powerful. You can have multiple pipelines for tickets. Uh, You can't have them against conversations, but they're on tickets and workflows for automation. There's things like syncing between conversations and tickets. We're going to jump into that in a second as well. But those are the six areas and a few other key things to note. So should we dive into conversations and tickets? Because this is a common area of confusion, isn't it, Ian? That's right. I think the big thing is, when do you use each one of these? Uh, at the risk of oversimplifying this, so here's a useful way to consider conversations versus tickets. And conversations, consider it as simple activities like email, chat, calls with a contact. So I think it's appropriately named conversations for that reason. And the second one is tickets. It's where we consider this as a more advanced conversation and we include tracking the status of that interaction. And we can do this in pipeline stages, but also really understand how long it's taking for things to resolve in that process. I think it's worth just repeating that to people because they quite often say, oh, what is a conversation? Like, what's a ticket? They're kind of similar. And what you've said there, yeah, conversations, that's where it starts. Tickets, just consider them advanced conversations. They're they're like conversations plus. However, as we were chatting before the show, as you quite rightly reminded me, but tickets are so much more. So not only are they advanced conversations, but they can actually be whole processes. Once you're starting to get business processes, you can manage these in tickets and ticket pipelines. So that could be things like installations with customer or customer onboarding, or maybe it's internal team processes. We often see this with clients now. They're like, oh, we've onboarded the client. Now we need to get them set up all their billing details off in some other system, you know, SAP or NetSuite or something like that. Oh, a ticket is actually an internal process, an internal process that's get used for that. So conversations are those simple activities. Tickets are advanced conversations, but they're also so much more powerful. They can be used for processes, full business processes as well. And I'll give you a little example, Craig. We use tickets for a customer of ours that manages a, a sort of customized build of a product within the ticket pipeline and they use it to manage the process of where things are on a daily basis. And that's really fascinating as well. All right. Now, a few quick recommendations about when to eat, use each, because now that we've explained the difference between conversations and tickets, it's like, oh, when should we each use each? Well, we actually say always use conversations and you can do this in free. Just right. set up an inbox support at your company or sales at or help desk at, and that goes into a conversations inbox. So an email comes in. Always have that in place. That's kind of the first point of contact when someone contacts you for support. Then we actually always set the option to automatically create a ticket from a conversation. Now that's optional. Some people don't have it. We actually always put that on. And then you can also sync the status. So if you're having a conversation with someone, they they send you an email and you reply and it's all done, great. It's closed out or resolved. Then you can automatically set the ticket to resolved as well. That's what we recommend. Now, some people, some companies don't have that automatic conversation to ticket. They like to do it manually. 
And a good example of that is if conversations tend to be very simple. So someone just says, oh, a quick email, hi, do you have something or other? And it's a quick reply. That's just a conversation. Perhaps creating a ticket for that is unnecessary. We still do. So that's just our general recommendation. As long as they're being closed out simply, uh, which that can be done automatic, that's the way we start. So that's how we recommend setting up and using conversations and tickets as a general rule. All right, now on to using workflows. And both conversation tickets have workflows. And this is where you can automatically process some of the most common things. So I'm just going to go through six or seven things. First one, setting owners. So that's a really big one on tickets and conversations, updating details, updating status on tickets, creating other records. That's a really good one that people often don't do. Creating tasks, which is another great one. And internal notifications to email, Slack, or SMS as being one of those other things you can do. One of the things that they've just added on Conversations View is you can customize views. So very similar to, I think people are familiar with this concept of views on contacts or deals. You can filter down. They've put a version of that on Conversations. So you might think, where is that? You've got to, actually got to go down to the bottom left. It's a bit inconsistent with how views are used throughout the rest of the product, but you can just create a view based on criteria. And that conversations view can actually be based on criteria of the conversation or the associated ticket. So it's actually quite powerful. And something else we're seeing that they're adding out is SLAs. Again, in the conversations view, and it only applies to conversations that have an associated ticket. So that's really around response times. And again, comes back to this speed of response can be a differentiator. And some other things to note, inbound calling is in beta currently, and we have not had a chance to play with it because it's in testing, I think, in the United States and in the United Kingdom. But it sounds promising and it's something that's going to close that loop. It essentially allows you to purchase a phone number, assign it to a user, and they can receive calls from that number on their mobile phone. So it's a great place to start. The next one that we really love is the channel switching. Now you go, what is that? And again, this is new and we've used it very sparingly, but it allows us to switch channels in the conversation. So let's, for example, say Craig is having, um, he first emails me and it gets into the inbox via an email. So that's where the conversation is happening. But then he gets on chat via Messenger or via live chat and starts talking to us. So we can now switch that and talk and we've got this history of what Craig has been doing and we're able to switch the channel to appropriately talk to that and manage that conversation and your history is, is unaffected. Yeah, I, I'd actually expect the other order to be the most common. They start on chat and then it switches to email. And I think this is really good because previously it could kind of get lost or you, there's no As real way to continue the conversation. But yeah, so this is just a nice little friction remover as I see it. But yeah, looking forward to testing that a bit further. And then we've got chat feedback and this is a simple customer satisfaction survey at the end of a chat experience. So it could be a chat flow, which is a automated bot, or it could be a chat as in you're completing a chat with somebody. And we'll give you examples of this at the end. All right, onto the HubSpot customer portal, Craig. All right. This is the third of those main areas. We said there were six. The first two were conversations then tickets. Third is the customer portal, which by the way, doesn't have to be for customers. It could be any of your contacts. So they don't actually have to have 
become a customer yet. But this is purely so they can log in and see their tickets. And another good reason why if you've got conversations with contacts and that creates a ticket, they can log in and actually see that history of tickets. We've got a few screenshots of how we've set it up for Zen. Look, it's pretty basic, I have to say. I know other tools on the market have a lot more sophistication and customization available for the customer portal. But in terms of getting the basics right, it's pretty good. You log in, you can see your tickets, you can drill into the tickets, you can see the full history. There's basic styling that you can make it look, well, at least on brand uh, and that. But look, it's still pretty simple, but it actually solves that problem. People just want to see a history. They perhaps don't really care how pretty it looks. Anyway, that's the third part of Service Hub. And you know what? That speaks to one of those statistics that we had earlier where people expect an on no, you said 90% of consumers expect an online portal for customer mm. service. And there you have it. All right. So on to our next one, which is types of surveys. So we we did a big thing back in episode 270 where we discussed the different types of surveys in HubSpot. So here's a quick recap. Um, we've got custom surveys, and these are free from including multi-step, and this is what you basically decide to put together. And then we've got these surveys that are kind of like industry standard surveys, a customer support survey, so getting feedback on support ticket experiences or even experiences with other things that are not support related. So we use that even in sales, we use that type of survey. The other one is the customer satisfaction survey. And this is about overall happiness where you can do it after purchasing, after certain interactions. And in this case, a chat interaction is what we will talk about. And then we've got NPS, which is customer loyalty. So this is the standard net promoter score, which is from zero to 10, about whether the contact would recommend your business to others. So... There it is. Speaking of NPS surveys. Yes. So if you subscribe to the show, you would have received an NPS survey from us, which we did as a test to demonstrate how this would work. And if you are listening and you haven't signed up to the show notes, you can do so and you will get one of those surveys and you can interact with it appropriately. But we just want to demonstrate how it works. And I want to start with two the two best surveys to get started quickly that often works really well. The first one is the customer satisfaction survey via email and in the chat. And the second one is the NPS survey to gauge how people are feeling about your business. And two ones that you can easily set up. Probably, I would say, Craig, what do you reckon you could set that up within an hour or two and get it kicked off? I think you could. Oh, yeah, easily. So the first one you will see, if you visit our site, hubshots.com, you will see the... Customer satisfaction survey. It's a little box with three faces, one not so happy one, one feeling okay and one happy. And that is what that is. And so that appears on all of the site and it asks you how you're enjoying HubShots. So that's the first one. And how that gets utilized is you can even utilize that within the chat. And once the chat finishes, that will show up and say, how was your chat with us today? And in the example that we have given you, it doesn't say who it was, but let's say I'm having a conversation and Craig's on the other side of the chat. It can say, how was your chat with Craig today? So you can even name the person and you can get that information. So it's a great way to collect feedback, even in the chat and understand what's going on. And I've also put a little screenshot of what the survey type is, because when it's not readily apparent when you're creating this in HubSpot, 
which survey type to use. And I kind of had to rummage around and find it. So just don't forget it's a customer satisfaction survey. And when you're creating that, you get an option to use it in the chat. And that's the giveaway because that option appears when you first create it. All right. And the last survey we want to talk about is the MPS survey. And this can be delivered by email. It can be even delivered on the site, I believe. But what it does, it can be set to go out. And we have actually set it to go out every three months. So with NPS, you really want it to go out consistently. So if, if you want to do yours once a year or every six months, you can do that. They recommend every three months. So we generally do that. The other thing is that it can uncover opportunities for more product sales, but also highlight if people are unhappy. So it really gives you a good understanding of how people are feeling because things change. We know businesses change. We know market conditions change and how people change and it's a good way to gauge that feeling of how people are responding to your business. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think you can often forget. And today when I was having a conversation with somebody, they were like, they're in product procurement and they were like, oh, I don't, have, I don't feel like I have anything to talk about and I haven't emailed people. And because they've had supply issues, procurement issues from China. So it was really interesting. And a comment from, from our coach, he said, you can still talk about things and people will still will remember you because they know what you're doing and they think, okay, well, now we understand the why. And sometimes even a survey can do that for you. It just keeps you front of mind and in people's eyes and ears and understanding what's going on. I'll just mention a little pro tip for preparing surveys and getting them sent out. Get someone else to do them for you. Sorry. <laughs> So basically, listeners, if you've signed up for the show notes, you're going to get that NPS survey. It'll come from me, but Ian prepared it. And I think he did it in, what, five or 10 minutes? Yeah, I did it while we were preparing the show notes. Yeah, and then you sent it. Now, if that had been me, I would have agonized over the wording and oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have sent it because it's probably not perfect. It's the same when I send out email newsletters. I over-prepare them and then I never send them, right? Yeah. The tip, just get someone else to prepare it for you. So someone else on your team and it'll go out and it's like, just get it out there. So just make a start. And already uh, before recording the show, I was seeing all these re replies coming back in from people filling it out. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> That's actually actionable, you know, feedback coming back. So thank you to all of our listeners who have filled it out or are about to fill it out. Thank you so much. Yeah. And goodbye, my inbox. I was just... <laughs> <laughs> all right, Craig, let's talk about knowledge base. Okay, so we're towards the end now. So we've uh, covered four things. This is the fifth knowledge base. We've covered this before. It's actually pretty fully featured now, knowledge base. Consider it a collection of articles. You might have a blog on your site. That's a collection of blog posts. A knowledge base, that's a collection of articles grouped by category. So you just have an article, very simple content creation experience. Just write heading, subheading, put in the content give it a category and a subcategory. Got an example here of how we use it for one of our brands, our Zen Solar brand, and you can see it. it's pretty easy to use, quite flexible. In the show notes, we've included just a checklist, a best practices checklist that HubSpot actually prepared, and we talked about this in earlier episodes as well. Just a few pointers for what you should include in an article and how to position it. So knowledge base, very useful, and you can actually link that to your customer portal. So people go and log in, check their tickets, and you can actually just have a link straight over to your knowledge base as well. All right. And uh, finally, on to our 
analytics, reports, and dashboards. And the best way to get started with this is to use um, a set up a service dashboard, and this is a pre-built dashboard. So I, I recommend starting with that. And then if you're looking at available reports is to actually look at the report library. And so I've highlighted, you want to look at conversations, you want to look at customer feedback, you want to look at knowledge base, and you want to look at tickets as a start. And it will actually show up what's in there. Now you'll see, I haven't ticked a lot of them, but We've got some data for some of them, so you'll be able to go through that and you can add them to your dashboard. So it's a great place to get started. And finally, when you're looking at analytics and people that, those of you who've used sales analytics, you'll think, oh, this looks very familiar because it is almost identical. And this is, this is the service analytics, which is being built out. And this is really great to dissect and understand what's working well in your organization from the customer satisfaction right down to response times, chat times, and how the pipelines are performing. And the other great thing is in this particular point, you can actually save these as reports and add it to your dashboards. So another place to actually uncover and highlight data that to bring it to the forefront. Now, that was a lot of stuff, Greg. So let's revisit our getting started guide. At the start, you mentioned these 15 steps. I'm going to go through them again. Keeping in mind, we've just covered those six main areas, conversations, tickets, customer portal, which is where customers can look at their tickets, looked at surveys, knowledge base, and then the sixth was reporting and dashboards. So how do we get started? Well, number one, set up the conversations inbox. You know the difference now between conversations and tickets, set up conversations inbox. Even if you have free, you can set that up. Two, add a support form because you can just create a support ticket and that goes straight into conversations. Add a support form. Then create snippets and templates. Why? Because when you're applying in conversations, you've got these pre-built canned replies. They save you time. They keep you consistent as well. It's actually like a training, simple training for your team. Oh, here's the responses we have. Four, send follow-up surveys. Five, start thinking about your default ticket pipeline. And then six, automatically create tickets from conversations. We've got conversations going, now make sure they create tickets. We suggest, like we said earlier in the show, most of the time we automatically create tickets for any conversation. Seven, create a simple report talking about conversations and tickets. Eight, create your customer portal because then customers can log in to see their tickets. Nine, you'll set up access lists for the customer portal. So you might give access to all customers, or you can actually make that flexible. You can lock it down or you can open it up. 10, add knowledge base and start adding articles. 11, add access lists for private knowledge base articles. I don't think a lot of people realize that you can actually lock down areas of your knowledge base. In fact, you can do it article by article. I was thinking a great use case for this, Craig, is people that have products and they have manuals of people so customers that, that want manuals and they don't want to readily make it available to everybody is you could have a list of customers that only have access to those articles. That's right. We've actually got a client we're working with at the moment. They're making a lot of their knowledge base private because there's, there's IP there, how to do processes. Yes. Customers get access or special VIP customers get access to those knowledge base articles. Add reporting on knowledge base searches. So this is a very powerful tip. Ian covered this a number of episodes ago. You can actually see when people come to your knowledge base, what they search for. That shows up in a report. Very handy because if you get a lot of the same searches, ah, oh, now we know what knowledge base article to create. 13, 
link your knowledge base to your customer portal so people can jump between them. 14, link knowledge base to your chat flows. And then 15, add SLAs if appropriate. So at the start of the show, when Ian went through those 15 steps, probably quite overwhelming. Hopefully at this point, when we've gone through a number of the features, doing that recap makes a lot more sense. So then the next question, Ian, is, well, look, you start with free. That's a no-brainer. And then you have the option to upgrade to starter and then to pro and to enterprise. What are some of the considerations people would have, first of all, going from free to starter, upgrading to starter? That's right. So here are some of the things that people often ask us when they're upgrading is that they want to remove branding on chat and emails. They want to add integrations like Slack notifications. They want a second pipeline. So free is uh, limited to one. And so they might want to add a second pipeline. You want more snippets, templates, and documents. So I think it increases from five to 5,000. And you might want actually really simple automation, like automatically assigning incoming chats and emails to a member of the team, or you want to trigger customer emails when tickets are received and closed and sending internal notifications when ticket status change. So those are kind of the key areas that you'd want to upgrade from free to starter. All right. Upgrading to pro though, most of the functionality we've talked about in the show, you need pro. So you need pro for surveys, you need pro for knowledge base, you need pro for the customer portal, and you need pro for workflows, the automation workflows. It also gives you more than one inbox and more than two ticket pipelines. You can have, I think, unlimited pipelines. So that's pro. And a big part of moving to pro besides those features is the automation component. Even if you don't even use surveys or knowledge base, a lot of people like to codify some of their company processes in ticket workflows onboarding, customer installations, those kind of things, and workflows automate a lot of that. So that's where a lot of the power comes in. What about upgrading to enterprise though? All right. So here's some of the most common things we see is they want single sign-on. So security for permissions and sets, they would like custom objects, calculated properties, greater reporting options. They can have more teams, up to 300 teams and hierarchical teams. And this is across most of HubSpot's enterprise products. And another big thing is you get up to 1,500 hours per month for conversation intelligence. And you'd probably say why, but it's to gain real-time insight into calls with an automatic recording and transcriptions and call analysis. And this is very similar to what's in enterprise sales. So there we have it, Craig. When to upgrade HubSpot Service Hub. We're almost at the end of the show, but I do want to finish by saying HubSpot Service Hub has come a long way and it's constantly improving. So it's really good and it's quite a compelling hub now, I feel. However, I am going to end on a little bit of a negative because it's not there yet. There's one main frustration I have with it. It's room for improvement, isn't it, Craig? It's room for improvement, although it doesn't look like they're going to do this. But the big frustration I have with it is that you're limited to a single knowledge base and therefore a single customer portal as well. So why is this a problem? Well, we have multiple brands. Let's say we've got, in fact, let's say we just had two, Zen and Hubshots. We actually have a, a bunch of others as well. If I've set up the knowledge base for Zen, it means we actually can't set up a knowledge base for Hubshots. It means we can't set up a customer portal for Hubshots versus Zen. And, you know, we, we're, we've got enterprise, everything in our portal. It's like we can have multiple blogs, we can have multiple uh, domains for landing pages, for email sending, all those things. But we, yet we can't for the knowledge base. 
And I just don't understand it. It's almost like a completely different team built the knowledge base and custom portal thing separate from the web page team for a couple of reasons too because one, it's got a slightly different user feel. So you know how like the email drag and drop builder? Yes. Very similar to the landing page and blog and um, web page builder. Quite a good experience, I think. Articles, knowledge-based articles, it's different. It's like a completely different team built this. And like they didn't think about having multiple knowledge bases. I don't quite, it's just quite odd. It's probably the main, what's that word for like? Um, Bugbear? Well, I was going to say juxtaposition. or It's it's like the one glaring kind of inconsistency yeah, yes. in the product. And I, I find it kind of weird. It's not because I'm the only one that wants it. If you go on the community threads, you'll see lots of people. In fact, it's one of them that has like 600 upvotes for just give us multiple knowledge bases. If one. Now, the frustrating thing is that HubSpot have actually come and replied to that and they said, this is on hold and we have no plans to build it. And so I'm just like, well, I mean, listeners don't know this yet, but Ian, uh, we, you and I, we've been building our own kind of knowledge-based portal for HubShots in the background. We're actually using a completely different tool for it. I would have loved to have kept that within HubSpot. But we're not. We're actually using Circle in case listeners are interested. You can get a sneak peek. You can go to learning.hubshots.com. We'll be talking about this in the coming months. But yeah, a whole separate knowledge base and community area and that not built on HubSpot. The irony, Ian, because we just can't have multiple. Anyway, that's my bugbear. That's my gripe. But I know clients have this gripe as well. And you know, maybe they'll bring it out. I thought maybe they were going to try and make it part of business units or something like which I wouldn't really be happy about anyway, but at least it would be available. But no, no plans. So that's the frustration. That's what's missing. I think it's a glaring miss in the product at the moment. Uh, and we'll see what happens. However, that is one negative amongst uh, an episode of strong recommendation for this product. It is now mature. It's come a long way. It's very solid. Like I don't think I run into any bugs lately or things like there's nothing sloppy about it that I've noticed lately where you go, oh, here's a bug. It seems high quality. Uh, it is fit for purpose now for large companies and enterprises. So it's probably the closing remark on um, right. HubSpot Service Hub. And there is some training to support all of this. Uh, there is Service Hub courses for setting up Service Hub and this is mainly for administrators and it's a good primer for setting up service hub and knowledge base and getting those settings correct which we often find people don't get correct and then finally using service hub for users and this is training on how to best utilize your knowledge base and structuring your articles etc because people often ask us well how do we categorize this how do we lay it out and if you just do the training it'll actually help answer some of those questions and finally craig onto our quote of the week a good one you've chosen yet again Ian. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And this is from Mahatma Gandhi. So there we are. Now, listeners, if you haven't already, you can check out our YouTube channel. If you want to see see us on the podcast, you will find the episode there, but you will also find a few other extras on the channel and you can go through and listen to that and even watch us explain a few things. And if you haven't, please connect with myself on LinkedIn and say you listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you. Again, if you love the show, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that really helps us in reaching more people. And if you're interested in HubSpot coaching, 
that is something that Craig and myself do together. And we love doing it together, don't we, Craig? So we do. it is something that if you are using HubSpot Professional or Enterprise and you're feeling a little stuck or you need to get stuff done and you need to get over a hurdle, that's a great a product that will suit your needs to get stuff done and see results quickly. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.